0: In the glories of heaven. And tonight we want to talk about the intermediate state. Here are some of the things that we've covered. Last week we talked about cremation, and tonight the intermediate state. Now, what is the intermediate state? When we usually talk, when we talk about believing in Jesus and um, the assurance of salvation and being able to have eternal life and go to heaven to be with the Lord forever, that, that's kind of where we live, leave it in our discussion about of the afterlife and what's going to happen next and, and so on and so forth. However, the truth is that there is, a, there is a, a lot, God has a lot planned, and we only are scratching the surface when we read the Bible. So when we talk about the intermediate state, we are talking about the period of time from the death and resurrection of Christ to the resurrection of our bodies. So this is the time, the period of time that we are currently in. It is... This period of time after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, which happened a long time ago, and before the resurrection of our bodies, which hasn't happened yet. This is called the intermediate state. And when we consider the intermediate state, we call it the intermediate state because once we go through this period and we are resurrected, then there's a whole... I mean, the the door just kind of opens wide to what eternal life is really going to be like. In the meantime, in this intermediate state, there is this separation of the body and the soul or the spirit. And so this separation is only temporary, and this is why we call it the intermediate state. And at the resurrection, they are brought back together again for eternity. So in other words, eternity is spirit, soul, and body. That's what eternity is going to be. We are not going to remain this... this, uh, bodiless soul or spirit that just kind of floats around like a ghost for eternity. That's not eternity. That's not the eternal state. Uh, The eternal state, God made man in his image. There is this uh, body that is given us. It will continue to be physical on, in some sense, on through eternity as we see from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his body after the resurrection. So Um, That's going to be the eternal state. That's the state that God planned for us to enter in and to enjoy eternity in. So in the meantime, while the body is in the ground and our spirits or our souls are in heaven, we await that day of resurrection when we will rise again from the dead. Okay? Any questions so far? If you have any questions, just raise your hand and we'll go through this. So one of the things that we have to talk about is this separation of the soul and the body. And so we, we consider this, and you might think, well, wow, it's kind of obvious. Well, it, it's not always so obvious, and not everybody believes in this uh, division or this distinction between our soul and our spirit and our bodies. There are different ideas about that. So we want to look at some of the verses um, like Psalm 88. So what about verses like this? When we look at Psalm 88, verses 10 through 12, it says, "'Will you work wonders for the dead? "'Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. "'Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, "'or your faithfulness in the place of destruction?' Now, this is a little bit of an unusual verse in that, uh, I mean, if we look at this first phrase, "'Will you work wonders for the dead? "'Will, will God work wonders for the dead?' I mean, if we talk about a resurrection from the dead, we're talking about wonders for the dead, right? And uh, shall the dead arise and praise you? Well, uh, one day that's going to happen. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Well, you know, he's going he's gonna to shout like a, the voice of the, the trumpet and the dead shall rise. Uh, your faithfulness in the place of destruction... Uh, Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So the answers to these questions are, will you work wonders for the dead? And the answer that is expected is no, you won't. Shall the dead arise and praise you? Well, no. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? No. So what's going on? Why do we have a verse like that when we know, you know, from other scriptures we look forward to and have this hope of eternal life when God is going to do, you know, all of these things and more. Well, you know, we have to look at scripture and sometimes the context is really important when we try to understand a verse. And so uh, what is he talking about here? And what is the context of this? Um, it's, it's like uh, there's a word in Greek, it's the word angelos. And what does that sound like? Angelos. Angel. It sounds like the word angel. However, when the word is used, sometimes it's translated as angel, and sometimes it's translated as messenger. When the context demands that it's really talking, you know, we're talking about a person who delivers a message, that's not an angel of God, it's just a messenger. And so the context informs us as to how we should translate that word angelos, angelos. So we have to look at the context here. And there are many passages in the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs and in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that talk about death as, or some of these things, as the death of the body, the physical death of a person. So, will you work wonders for the dead? In other words, somebody dies and they go, you know, they're buried in the grave, right? Well, is God going to do anything for that person? Well, no, because he's not living anymore the only opportunity for God to do something is for us, right? Because if we're dead, we don't care about anything and we don't need God to do anything for us anymore. You see what I'm saying? So it's talking about, well, shall the dead rise and praise you? Well, if you're dead, you can't get up and go to church and praise God or just, you know, have your, de- your devotion in the morning and put your radio on and belt out the praises of God, right? You can't do that if you're dead, um, and so on and so forth. So the, uh, a lot of times there is a, the, pers- the human perspective of life and death that is portrayed in these verses. And, and I believe that this is one of those verses. This is not unique. There are many such verses. And again, it's, it's not difficult to figure out what the Bible, you know, whether it's talking about you know the eternal perspective or if it's just talking about um, life and death. So it's not hard to figure out. You just have to kind of pay attention to what you're reading and, 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 um, and get through it. All right. So another verse, Psalm 115, verses 17 through 18, says, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now, this one just kind of puts these two things together. Um, and I think it makes a little bit of a distinction between those who belong to God and those who do not belong to God. So if somebody dies, they cannot praise the Lord. It basically, you go down into silence, right? Because if, if you're dead, you're silent. There, there is no speaking, there is no praying, there is no anything. I mean, from the human perspective, you're not alive anymore, but you're, now your body is dead. So there is no interaction with life there. But... We will bless the Lord. Now, here is, the, here is kind of the shift to an eternal perspective. Um, we will praise those who belong to the Lord. We'll bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And so this is kind of the perspective that we were talking about a minute ago. We are talking about um, if you have an eternal perspective, then even though our body goes to the earth, there is praise that will continue, and that continues in the presence of the Lord. Right, So we will bless the Lord from this time and forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord for that. So we kind of read these uh, scriptures and try to make this distinction. And it's really important to make the distinction between the body which dies and is buried and remains there. Right, The body of all people, the resurrection has not taken place yet. So we're in the intermediate state and a body, the body of a person... Of all people who have lived, have died, and the body's placed in the ground or wherever, and, and that's where it remains until the day of the resurrection. So uh, there's that distinction, and then the distinction of the presence of our soul or our spirit. I'm going to use those interchangeably just uh, for simplicity's sake, but um, we're talking about uh, our souls or our spirits that go into the presence of the Lord. So there's a distinction to be made there. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 just kind of reinforcing that distinction it says do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell now here is a verse that reveals to us a distinction man can only do what kill the body Man can only kill the body. That's as far as the power of man goes. But God can do something more than that. God can kill or destroy both the soul and the body. And that becomes more important. So Jesus is kind of a encouraging don't, don't be afraid of what man can do to you, right? I mean, there might be persecution, and there has been persecution in the history of the church throughout the centuries, and, and uh, people in this world, you know, they hate the Christians, and they persecute the Christians, and, and, and on and on it goes. Even in our day today, there are places in the world where Christianity is persecuted for, uh, into prison and death and so on. Thankfully, here in the United States, the only kind of persecution that we have to endure is the persecution of people who hate Christians. And, you know, they, it's just kind of a verbal kind of thing. And maybe a little bit more than that. But we don't fear for our life typically. And, and uh, so our uh, experience of persecution is not that extreme like others in history. But that's all that man can do. All, all that somebody, a man, can do is kill you, your body. But there is more to consider, and God is the one who is able to do that extra thing. And so he is the one that must be feared by man because he is able to destroy both the soul and the body. And he does it in hell for the unbelievers. Okay, so that's Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Now, we go to some verses that we looked at before because one of the things that we, one of the topics that we covered was that, well, what happens to us when we die? And we talked about the spirit going up to be with the Lord and and of course our body going back uh, down to the earth so let's look at some of these verses again Philippians chapter 1 verse 23 and 24 says this is Paul speaking he says I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you so Paul is talking about He's, he's kind of torn. On the one hand, he wants to, to leave, and leave what? Depart what? His flesh, as it gives us, uh, kind of uh, tells us in verse 24. His desire is to leave the flesh, because leaving the flesh means going into the presence of the Lord and being with Christ, which is better than remaining in the flesh. But remaining in the flesh, on the other hand, is more needful... For the people that were with him um, and that reveals what about Paul's heart to remain in the flesh is more needful for you what does that just reflect about Paul yes oh my goodness I can't, even, I can't even begin to comprehend his compassion I mean if anybody was like Jesus in their compassion it was Paul he just uh, here he, he's saying you know it's better for me to stay in the flesh for your sake he just had a servant's heart. So anyway, um, he's, he's torn with this. He has the, des- des- the desire to leave this body and to be with Christ, which is better, of course. But he has also a desire to remain in the flesh, which is more needful for you. And then another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. says, We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Let me just stop there for a moment. Notice what he says. To be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. Now, how can he say that? Because isn't it true that the Lord is with us? Right here, right now? Even though we are present in this body? Well, how can he say, while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord? What, What is he trying to convey here? Okay, well, that's right. While we're, well, so we're talking about believers and let's give the believer a benefit of the doubt. So the believer is in the body. How are we absent from the Lord? Yeah, so we are present with the Lord, but leaving this body means we are really going to be present with the Lord. You you got it? So there's this, uh, you know, there's this, uh, again, going back to what Paul was saying here too, leave the flesh or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, like in a sense that we, are, we don't experience now. So, um, so this is how he starts here, and then he goes on in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So this is similar to his Philippians passage, and he says, it is better, yes, And uh, he says, "Well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body." So to leave this body means there is the the spirit goes into the presence of the Lord, and that is great. That that is far better than remaining here. All right. So that's Second Corinthians chapter five, verses six through eight. So here some those are some verses that we had looked at before, and it shows that there is this um uh this state or this position that for us it's you know we we start life in a physical sense when we're born but when we die we enter uh, this other state like everybody else this intermediate state and then we all look forward to and have the hope of the resurrection coming down the road so our salvation has begun when we accepted Jesus Christ and he forgave us of our sins. And it is a work in progress that will continue on down the pike there until the day of resurrection. And that will be one of, I don't want to say the fullest, and this is how I usually express it, the fullest. But the fullest for now, because I don't know what God has in store after that, if... if uh, how he's doing things in creation now is any indication, um, then we can look forward to a whole lot of stuff after our resurrection that, um, we just don't know about at this point. So anyway, that's for now that our fullest expression of the salvation will happen at the resurrection. But right now we have, we, we have a relationship with the Lord, right? Our salvation has begun. It will get better when we die and we're actually with him. And then it will get even better when we are resurrected from the dead. So it's, just, it's all uphill from here. Or is it all downhill from here? I don't know which way are we going. It's just all getting better from here on out. It's just getting better and better and better as we go through time. Now I want us to turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. And we want to start to answer the question of, well, what is it going to be like? Why is it better to be in the presence of the Lord? And uh, what kind of things will we know? What will, be, we, what will we be able to do? Um, how are things going to be different than they are now? What are we going to know? What are we not going to know? And those kinds of things. So let's start by looking at Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And it says, When you open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So let me just set set the context here. Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. I don't know when this is going to happen exactly, uh, but the timing is not important except for the overarching timing. So these people that are under the soul, under the altar here it is their souls that are there because they were what they were killed all right they were slain for their testimony of the word of god and so their souls are there before the altar in heaven and it is before the resurrection of their body so these are this is to put it into context this is uh, the souls of people in the intermediate state Just like us, okay? Except they're already there in heaven. So he saw the souls of those who were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held, verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of fellow servants and their brethren would be killed as they were until that was completed. So there's still more people that are going to die after these people have lost their lives and their souls have gone into heaven. Their souls are present before the altar of God in heaven. Okay? Another verse, Hebrews chapter 12 Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we read verse 22 through 24. Now what's happening in Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews as he does throughout the book, is he's comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. And he's showing how Christ of the new covenant is so much superior to the old covenant. So in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they came out of Egypt, they went into the the wilderness, they came to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God met them. And it was a terrifying meeting. The earth shook, there was lightning, there was thunder, everybody was afraid, Uh, they were just just, uh, crying out for their lives. It was a terrifying thing to uh, come into the presence of God. Now, as terrifying as that was, there is another meeting with God that takes place. And that meeting with God is the meeting that we have in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And this is what it describes in Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. So it says, But you, you who now believe in Jesus, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, And what is there? An innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, notice this part here, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now that'll be some fantastic church service right there. You know, when we are uh, in that company, in that assembly, that will be an, am- uh, an amazing thing. But notice currently that uh, Jesus has mediated the new covenant. The spirits, of just, the spirits of just men are there in that heavenly Jerusalem at the current time. And then one other passage that we want to look at is a parable that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 16. And this one um, just identifies this differentiation between life and death and the spirit and the soul and the places that we can, a person can find themselves in. So in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 22, I'm just, so there's a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has everything that he needs, and Lazarus is a beggar. The rich man doesn't believe in god but lazarus the beggar does believe in god and they both die and things just kind of flip-flop here so in verse 22 it says so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades, torments in hades he lifted up his eyes and saw abraham afar off and lazarus in his bosom then he cried and said father abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So this parable, Jesus is telling, he gives us a glimpse into the afterlife. The, the, the rich man, Lazarus, is in torment and he is crying out or pleading for some relief, even if it's the dipping of the finger and the drop of, a, of water on his tongue. Uh, that's what he cries out for but uh, as you read through the parable that is not possible now all that to say that there is a conscious awareness after death and so that is kind of our hope we're going to die in this body we're going to go directly into the presence of the lord and so we're talking about this intermediate state after the work of christ on the cross and before the resurrection believers go into the presence of the lord unbelievers go to hell in torment and then there is coming the, resurrect, the resurrection. All right, any questions so far before we go on? Or any comments or thoughts or anything? Anybody? Okay. Now, how are we going to feel in the intermediate state once we go to heaven? How, how are we going to feel? What are we going to think of? So let's, uh, let's go back to Revelation. This time we're going to start in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. We'll read verse this is similar to the passage we read before in Revelation chapter six. So let's read verses thirteen through seventeen that says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger no more anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living waters, to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All right? Now... What are some of the characteristics of our heavenly experience from these verses here? Yeah, no hunger or thirst. Yeah, that's good. What else? What else do we see here? <laughs> no more hot flashes? Okay. <laughs> No more knee trouble. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I get it. I see what you're saying now. (laughs) No darkness, right? We're going to experience a more perfect relationship with God and the others that are around us, right? We're going to be in before the throne of God and do what? Serve him day and night in his temple the one who sits on his throne this is great isn't it the one who sits on the throne will dwell among them that's fantastic right there so he will wipe away every tear now some of these things i think are also um, prophetic of the eternal state but that doesn't matter for now Um, what will we know what will we know what will we know? We will know the Lord, we will know other people that are around us, and we will have memories of this life. Now, this is the most surprising part of it to me. We will have memories of this life. And notice, and this is not unique to this passage, but... Um, I, I mean he's going to wipe away every, the tears from their eyes he's going to say these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation so they're, they are identified as you know something having connected them to their life um, they uh, when they see Jesus there is a connection to the lamb who was slain right they, they, he shed his blood so there, there's that connection even with Jesus there's a connection to his work and his life on the cross. Uh, going back to Revelation chapter five for a moment, talking about Jesus here, in Revelation chapter 5, I think I have this verse I can put on the screen. It says, "And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. But notice, it is Jesus, He is depicted, He is depicted as a lamb, and a lamb that had been slain. And the purpose of that depiction is to connect to what he had done on this earth for mankind. And so there's this link. Uh, It becomes even clearer when we go back to Revelation chapter 6. And notice what these saints say. This is the verse that I was looking for earlier. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, So that's why they're there, because they were slain for the word of God. But notice what they cry out. They cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So you would think that going into the presence of the Lord, there'd be just kind of this erasure of my whole life, and I don't have to remember any of the troubles that I went through. It's all going to be kind of melt into nothingness because there the Lord is going to be right in front of me and he is going to take care of me and give me all all of the joy and the peace that I need and all of that is true but there is still this link back to our lives as we lived them here and so this is this is kind of uh, surprising in verse 11 he says well they remember their martyrdom they remember that they were killed they ask for vengeance upon them and they are told to rest a little while longer so there is this completion that is about to take place in their lives that is connected to their previous lives on on the earth so what that means is that what happens to us here and our faith that we have here and how we deal with the difficulties and the challenges here in this life will have some ongoing bearing in our eternal lives now that might kind of make us a little bit uh, uneasy maybe or you know maybe it isn't an, an opportunity for us to rejoice because usually this comes up when we talk about our rewards rewards right and wh- what when i say our reward in heaven what am i referring to That's right. It's connected to the deeds on earth. Tyson, did you say something? The the crowns for the good things that we have done or, you know, for our salvation and all of that. We are going to, uh, all of our works during this life will be put to the fire and that which is of precious material will last and that which was of, you know, the wood and the hay and the stubble will burn up and and go away. So there's, even if I receive, so just picture this, I receive a reward for the good deeds that I have done in this life, and my reward will continue with me throughout eternity. So all, I, again, w- what that means is that what we do here and now makes a difference, and will make a difference throughout eternity. Of course, the best part of the whole thing is that we are going to be with the Lord forever. He will wipe away every tear, and so Even if I have no treasures, you know, that I'm carrying around, however that's going to be, or any crowns on my head. I mean, we all put them before Christ anyways, but even if I had nothing, the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus for all of eternity just surpasses every other blessing. Haley? connection (laughs) yeah that's a great question and i don't know i mean he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes now i don't know if that's just kind of a one-time thing at a certain time in eternity you know as we move through the salvation thing um maybe or maybe it's an ongoing thing but i i don't think that there is going to i don't know the that's right. You, well, if we're in heaven, why would we have any tears to begin with for him to wipe away? So I don't understand it completely, but that's what it suggests there. Um, but I don't think it's it's like the kind of sorrow that we experience now. I, I think it's a the sorrow of maybe remembering something and then the fact that he wipes away our tears shows his ministry to us, even like we do now, right? Don't we seek his comfort and his help and his peace through all of our troubles? And so we, we trust him to minister to us. And I think that we are going to experience that in some fashion as we move into eternity. And that's really a good thing. I mean, just think when somebody comes alongside of you now and helps you, isn't that like a, we praise the Lord for that. We praise the Lord for them. And we, you know, it's, it, it, it really is a, the means by which our struggle is turned into something glorious that exalts the Lord. And I think somehow that that will continue. Um, that's what's suggested here. Um, but I don't think we will ever be in a position where, you know, we're discouraged or depressed or by any of it. I, I think it, it is all a glorious thing for the glory of the Lord, especially as we enter into, you know, the eternal state. There. your is your hand up? Yeah, go ahead. What's a deed and what's a work? Uh, a work is a deed, and a deed is a work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. There might be a distinction, but I just don't know. I, In other words, my first response is... I, I think it's just two words to talk about. they're synonymous. It talks about the same thing. If there is a distinction i'd I'd have to look into that, but um off the top of my head, nothing comes to mind Tyson, yeah. right so I would think we'd still be sad. yeah yeah maybe maybe yeah maybe that would be part of it yeah no uh, even even if we think about the work of jesus on the cross which is a horrific thing that he did. I mean I mean the thing that happened to him, that he had to die on the cross and shed his blood for my sins. That, that's horrible, right? That's a that's a horrible event for him that God turns into a glorious event for our salvation. But the point is this when we see Jesus in heaven oftentimes he is depicted as the Lamb who was slain. That horrible event but yet it's for it's for glory so i i don't know how to explain it any different the the other the verse i read a moment ago revelation 5 8 um, is that revelation 5 8 i must have the what was the other one i read 5 6 hey kevin can you go back to revelation 5 6 i think that's the one i want but it's no, it's the uh, the lamb. It's in Revelation five. Um, the lamb. Oh yeah, this is the one right here. It says, "And in the midst of the altars stood a lamb, as though it had been slain." So it's it's connecting our our view of Jesus in heaven is connected to that sorrowful, sad. Um, event on earth but yet god turns it into a glorious thing i think it'll be the same with us he, he'll take all of the things that we experienced, and they were our challenges here on earth the, the challenges that stretched our faith and in heaven they'll be turned into we'll see the glorious aspect of what god was doing all right got a lot of questions here let's start with tina Yeah, that's, we're gonna talk some more about that because that's yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the comforts that we take in the death of a loved one is that we're gonna be reunited with them. So, to what degree, or what is that reuniting gonna be like? And so, we'll talk some more. We'll we'll spend we'll spend some more time. One of the things I want to do. One of the things I want to do next time is um, answer some of those questions, like are, are our loved ones watching us from heaven? Will we be reunited with them? So the, some of those questions we'll spend a little, a little bit more time on. So that, that, That's a really good question. and we, we just need more time to do it. All right, I think, Barbie, you had your hand up? Yeah. Going back to what Tyson was talking about, when we're in heaven, are we going to notice that a family member isn't there or a world member isn't there? That, that is a great question that, that that's what tyson was saying you know that he, because he knows about his dad so um you know what that that is an excellent question and that's connected to what uh tina was asking and so we'll, we'll get to that so hold on to that question yeah that's right he's going to wipe away every tear that's that's true huh? yeah that would be, that would be sorrowful, right? But that, that's where I'm trying to explain that all of our sorrow. Well, no, not just brief. We will, in our sorrow, see God's glorious work, supersede it. So, if my dog dies, Dusty, and I don't see her in heaven will i shed a tear over her not being there because dogs don't really go to heaven so i find out i don't know yet you know i'm just kind of throwing out the scenario here so cuz you know all dogs go to heaven isn't that isn't that like a thing or a movie or something but let's say i go to heaven and i find out all dogs don't go to heaven and dusty's not there i'm going to be sorrowful and sad but that's how, that's how we react now. And then what do we do? We go to the Lord and we seek his comfort and his peace to get us through this hard time of loss and so on. That's the part I think will be different in heaven. We will sorrow because I think there's still going to be a connection to our earthly life. But at the same time, it is going to be kind of mixed in and lost in the glories of God's plan that we don't understand right now. So... Yes and no to your question, Barbie, but we'll talk some more about this maybe next time. All right, were, were there, yeah, Susan? Okay, and then Haley, Susan? So this is my humble take on it. Yeah. I just don't think uh, we can even comprehend on our final uh-huh. earthly minds here what it's gonna be like. All right. We're trying to place our earthly relationship, we're trying to make it the same. Yeah. 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 Oh, I know. I already know asking, probably aren't there. Right. But, yeah, that's a I good we, we No. That's a good way to put it just just a restating that we don't understand how it's going to be but it'll be positive, right? It won't be a negative experience for us. Because it'll be mixed in with God's glorious plan. And we know that God's will and his plan is perfect and it's good and he doesn't make mistakes. And so whatever might be the source of a sorrow, it'll be mixed in to the perfect, good, wonderful plan of God. And it'll end up in rejoicing and praise of him. So, yeah, I think you're right. We don't understand it fully. Uh, Haley, did you have a comment or question? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think a better way to put it is that there's a, it's not, we don't go to heaven and just kind of like, it wipes our memories of this earth and this life away. That's my main point. We're, we're kind of bringing in although what if, you know, Dusty's not there and so on. We're, that's us. But my point is that going to heaven and being in the presence of God does not automatically wipe everything out of our minds. There will be a connection to the lives that we have lived here for the glory of God. There will be a connection to that when we get to heaven. That, that's my main point right there. We don't lose memory or forget what has happened to us here. I think we will continue to remember that in some way. All right. Who else Barbie? So, when, I know this is so go ahead. Ask away. I I don't, I don't know if I have the answers, but go ahead. So, when I pass, yeah. I will see my husband and I will know. Him. I think so, but we'll answer that more clearly next time. Yeah. If he was a believer in Jesus, yes. yes. Right. Haley? Yeah no no that's the resurrection that's coming that's why that's that's i think there'll be some kind of ongoing connection yes yeah i don't know if the recognition i don't know if we have to wait for our resurrection bodies to recognize the person i don't know how that's going to be so that's a good question because I don't have an answer to that. Um, I think I have to say that there's going to be some kind of recognition before our resurrection bodies. So that's where I have to land. But we'll we'll investigate we'll investigate that a little bit more next time if we ever finish tonight. I don't know. Just... No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I love your questions, Jerry. I knew. Yes, yeah, so he used the the tent and house as kind of uh, uh, images of what are you know, our heavenly bodies and so on, and this body here on this earth, yeah. All right, anybody else? Oh yeah, we got it. Yeah, Kevin. Well, that's why I said, I think that there was a prophetic kind of forward looking to the end as well. So we, we could see that some of the things that are said, I believe the context of Revelation 7 is before the, the eternal state. Um, and so it like foreshadows or prophesies of some things that will be experienced in the eternal state. So I would not be hesitant to make a connection between the wiping of the tears in Revelation 7 with Revelation 21. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we take all of Revelation 7 and put it in Revelation 20. I don't think that that's correct either. Yeah, good question. All right, anybody else? All right, so next time we're going to finish up, we'll look at some verses that talk about how our salvation now is partial and it'll be fully revealed at the coming of Christ. We will look at, let's see, yeah, some of the things that we'll experience at... um, the resurrection, but that'll only be a short period of time, and then we'll move into our, the people in heaven watching our lives and witnessing what we're doing. We'll, we'll talk about that and uh, our recognition of one another. So we'll talk about that next time. All right, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this night, and um, so many questions, so many things we don't understand here. Uh, Thank you, Lord, at least that we can look forward to our time, our eternity with you, and that will trump everything else. For you are the great and glorious God, and you have made us to have a relationship with you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks.